Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. It's draft morning. We're going to spend a lot of time in this first hour of the show on the NBA draft. Are the Jazz going to trade out? Um, I think the odds are yes. Uh, I've talked to somebody in the organization who believes the same thing to be true. But I think you should not write anything in ink. Chisel nothing in stone. Because the bottom line at the end of the day is you still don't know what offer's coming your way. You've done your homework. You've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. There have been offers made back and forth. and You never know when something that you were willing to do it sounded like a bad idea to the other guy. Maybe that other team didn't think it was such a horrible idea. They were trying to goad you into a better deal. And the truth is, it's their plan B or C. And when they realize that their plan A and maybe even their plan B aren't happening, they might circle back to you and something you thought was dead might be alive. Now, that could wreck something the Jazz have cooking with another team. Whatever team, I would just be picking names out of the air. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, Celtics, Hawks, Wizards, Heat, Raptors, you know, whoever. They might suddenly get a better offer and your deal with them that you thought was going to happen tonight is dead. Or you might have had something planned and now you got a different plan because someone called back and said, hey, you know the thing we talked about? We might be into that. So... Always on pins and needles. Never would know when the phone's going to ring. Probably the best example I know of in jazz history would be the Jeff Hornacek trade. And Scott Layden told the story. He got home from work at the end of the day, kind of 9 to 5 in on a trade deadline. I don't know if he got home at 3 or 7 or whatever, but he got home whenever he got home. And his wife, jazz fan, says, so is anything going to happen? You going to make a move? Ah, it's all quiet. A couple hours later, he gets a call. He thought that Jeff Malone for Jeff Hornacek wasn't happening. Philly had rejected him. It turned out whatever else Philly had cooking, maybe they just had a little auction going, a little game of poker, they decided, that's our best play. So they called back and said, hey, you still want to make that deal? He thought it was dead. You never know. So we'll see how that checks out and how that works out later tonight. Associated note, Green Bay Packers. And you may not think there's a link between the Green Bay Packers and the Utah Jazz, but I just think this is true across pro sports with people at leverage points in their career, whether they're coming up on a free agent year or they're late in their career, like Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers had a press conference and was finally forthcoming about some of what's happened the last few months. And looming over all of this is that, you know, it usually ends poorly, otherwise it doesn't end. And Aaron Rodgers is probably done in Green Bay sooner rather than later, right? It could well be at the end of this year. Heck, if this plumber played out differently, it could be right now. Certainly in two years, there's a good chance he's somewhere else. But it's coming. It doesn't matter. One, two, three, five. I mean, he's, he's in his late 30s. He's not playing eight to ten more years. The end is near. And it doesn't always end well. A lot of times it doesn't. He wanted more of a say, he says, in recruiting players. The Packers didn't take him up on it. They offered him more money. So this is not really about the, the money. Um, now... Years is money, so it kind of is. But they didn't want to give more years. They're just going to give more money. <laughs> and so this is all according to him, right? There, and there may be other storylines. But when he doesn't have more years and he doesn't have say in the organization, he started feeling like a lame duck. In which case, well, if I'm a lame duck, let me go now. And there's somewhere where I could have a future for three to five years, right? All the guys playing now know how Peyton Manning ended it. And if the team can bring someone in better, they may not like it. 
and maybe not better. If the team can some bring in someone young and promising, they may not like it. But I think you know the Colts end up with the number one pick in the draft, and there's a generational talent at Stanford, and the Colts are going to take him. So nobody likes it, but you get where it's going. And if you handle it right, you end in a good place. And sure enough, Manning goes to Denver and gets to play in two Super Bowls in four years and win one. Well, that's a pretty good four-year run by anyone's standards, except Tom Brady's. It would be okay for Brady. <laughs> Possibly acceptable, but kind of a lateral move. But for anybody else, that's a heck of a run. So, I mean, you think about it, Manning played in more Super Bowls than Rodgers, right? Rodgers only been to one. He's 1-4 in the NFC title game. 1-5 now, 1-4. I'd have to look that up. That's a heck of a run then. That is outstanding. You take that and run to the bank. So, how do you leverage that? And maybe Manning thought there was a way to leverage that, right? Earlier this year, the New Orleans job is open. Maybe you go there. There's a good team. And, of course, the Packers don't watch in the NFC. They're going to want you to change conferences. Um, but maybe there's some options out there. So you kind of get how this got sideways. And the fact is, owners don't like to give players long-time, long-term guaranteed contracts because then they feel like if they don't produce, they're kind of on the hook. But when you give players shorter-term deals, and the whole rest of the league wants them, and this is what's happened in the NBA, you know, the, the six- and seven-year contracts that the Carlos Boozers and Andre Kirilenkos were getting that people sometimes ended up regretting. Boozer may have gotten five now. I think about it. I have to go back and look. But uh, they've got shortened. And all of a sudden, LeBron's like, hey, let's opt out after three years or after two. What do I mean? I'm LeBron. There'll be a market for me. I'm LeBron. And all of a sudden, the players have more power. So there's always unintended consequences. And the NFL, with the money that's not guaranteed and the ability to waive guys at shorter deals and the NBA shorting six- and seven-year deals down to where there's you know, five max, but a lot of times three- and four-year deals, gives the players more power if they keep producing. So something to keep in mind if you're rooting for a team and you're watching the star players, his contracted years drop and drop and drop. The player has more power. It's the way it is. All right, when we come back, NBA Draft. More in a moment. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It's time to get you ready for the NBA Draft. It's tonight. Chad Ford, Eric Walden, both joined us yesterday to look ahead to the draft. We're going to start with Chad. He expects the Jazz to trade out, and he will explain why. Uh, And I think it's also interesting to note that uh, he thinks there's four foreign players in this draft who can really be impact guys. I think there are four guys who will go in the lottery, the top 14 picks. And the importance of the foreign player. Now, maybe no elite guys, but Giannis Antetokounmpo wasn't viewed as elite when he came in the league. Nikola Jokic wasn't elite when he came into the league. Luka Doncic was elite. The whole debate was whether he should go number one or not. But Antetokounmpo, he didn't go in the top ten. Jokic didn't even go in the first round. Now, you can argue it's a different era and with the success of the international player. And man... 
<laughs> there's some good young international players. I mean, right now, you got Luka Doncic dropping 48 in the Olympics, looking awesome. Jokic is the MVP. Antetokounmpo is the NBA Finals MVP. I mean, these guys are crushing it. So here's Chad Ford. Also, the G League guys, a whole new twist. Guys who aren't going to college who are going to the G League. Here's Chad Ford on the NBA draft. Chad, good morning. Good morning. So, Chad, here comes the NBA draft. Do you feel like this has been obscured a little bit, overlook the late finals into the Olympics? It seems like there's a lot less hype for the second straight year. Yeah, you know, maybe because I'm immersed in the draft, I certainly don't feel that way. I mean, Cade Cunningham is a big buzz name right now. This is one of the best drafts that we've had at the top in a really long time. Uh, I do think that some of these players maybe don't quite have the same cachet uh, that maybe they normally would, like Jalen Green, for example, or Jonathan Kaminga, because they played in the G League, not in college basketball, but... Uh, I think this is an incredible draft, and uh, I've certainly, on on my site, seen enormous interest, uh, increase in interest over last year. Really? All right. Well, see, that may just go to the local bias of the Jazz drafting 30 and having no shot at Cade Cunningham whatsoever. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to get excited about the 30th pick in any draft, and I think especially this year there's sort of a cutoff in this draft about where I think the talent really lies that cuts off, unfortunately, you know, five, six picks before the Jazz are selecting at 30. And so, I, you know, I know just didn't even, you know, talking, talking to the Jazz, it's, it's tough to get super excited about the 30th pick in this draft. I mean, that's normally the case, but I think it's definitely the case this year as well. Okay, but we've seen so many years where when you go back and redraft the draft, the guy who should have been picked high went 10 or 20 or 30 spots later because nobody spotted who he was. Right. Do you think this draft is going to be just absolutely nails and, and be the unusual draft that goes in the order it should? Or teams are so good at developing players that we're just always going to have guys sliding and you know finding a Kawhi Leonard in the teens, which granted isn't where the Jazz are picking, but finding a Kawhi Leonard or a Donovan Mitchell or a Giannis Antetokounmpo or whoever, they're, they're going to be awesome players who aren't going in the top three or top five like they did in the 80s when everything was locked down. Yeah, you know, every year you find, you know, gems late in the first and even in the second. Desmond Bain went uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies with a 30th pick in the draft last year. I mean, so you can point to that and say, okay, here's a chance. But, like, I know last year the Jazz liked the bottom of the draft more than they did this year. They, They thought that the strength of last year's draft wasn't necessarily at the top, but the incredible depth as you got into the 20s and 30s. And I think teams are feeling less confident about that this year. Now, is there the possibility that one of these uh, young players could turn into a star? You know, we were talking about Brandon Boston, who was ranked number 11 at the top of our board. He's going to be there. JT Thor out of Auburn, who probably would have been a lottery pick in next year's draft if he had stayed in for a year, is going to be there. I mean, there's some prospects there. I think part of the problem for the Jazz is that – they don't really have the, the time or roster space to really develop a young player who's particularly raw. They would prefer someone who could come and help them right now. And they also are going to have some financial crunches when they re-sign, hopefully, Mike Conley uh, this summer. That are, means they're going to have to be very careful with how they use their 
their money. And so I think for those reasons, I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Jazz ultimately just decide to trade out of this draft, um, get a future asset, and, and hope that that asset is better than the 30th pick in the draft in, in years to come. And it saves them a little bit of money. And, you know, frankly, you know, Utah has got some young players, whether that's Doku or um, uh, even Elijah Hughes, who they drafted last year, that they could, that really they struggled to develop last year. And those guys would probably be ahead of whoever they drafted this year as far as that, you know, development priority came anyway. And so I expect that, most likely scenario is Jazz trade out. Probably second best scenario is maybe they find a deal and move up in the draft uh, where they can actually find a, a difference maker. I think that would be appealing uh, to Utah if they could do it. I think if they could get in the high 20s uh, or late teens, and that's a very, very different equation about what type of player might be available to them. Um, but I, I think probably the least likely scenario for me right now is that the Jazz actually draft and keep the 30th pick in the draft. So how are you supposed to do a mock draft if you don't even know which team is picking where? Because apparently the Jazz aren't the only team expected to be making a deal. Well, it's funny that you ask. I just wrote this in my column today that I never in all my years of covering the draft, and unfortunately I'm an old man, so it's been there for a while, I've never seen so so many picks for sale or teams trying to move up or down in the draft. It looks like a, a typical second round. Five out of the first seven picks uh, might change hands. Uh, the Magic are looking at trading at eight. The Kings are definitely shopping nine. The Hornets have talked to multiple teams about 11. The Pacers have been shopping 13. The Warriors have been very open about seven and 14 being for sale. Uh, and you can just go on and de- down the list with the Knicks and Lakers and what have you. And so the opportunities for the Jazz to move up are there. There's lots of teams selling. Uh, and, you know, it's just, just what are you willing to offer to get up in the draft that is drafting a rookie the right thing for the Jazz going forward. And, and I think if they could get, like I said, in the late teens or early 20s, I think that there, there might be a really good argument that that is going to be the cheapest way for the Jazz to be able to address some of their needs, you know, especially like maybe defensively on the wing, uh, than, than you know, trying to hit the free agent market and find someone that way. So you mentioned already that some of the hype for some of these players isn't what it could be because they weren't playing college basketball and we couldn't see them. They were in the G League. Can you state confidently that it is uh, better for guys to go to the G League, more development takes place there, it is better to go to college basketball and be under the spotlight, even though the coach is trying to win now and development? I mean, yeah, I want to develop you, but I need to win now. Uh, that's an attitude for a lot of coaches. What do you think? And, and given the fact that the G League hasn't really been the G League the last two years, do you even want to answer this? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we know yet. Uh, I would say that NBA scouts were overall impressed with the G League. And they thought the level of competition was higher than college basketball. They liked that these players were learning pro sets um, right away. You know, the college basketball game is not the same as the NBA game. And so they thought that some of the players were – um, not learning bad habits that they often learn in college because that's what you know success in college is, but you can't do that in the NBA. Uh, on the other hand, I think that, and this was a weird year because, frankly, most college players didn't get this either. That you know the year to be able to socialize and be in college and all the sort of growth that gets that that comes from that. I think typically scouts think there's some value in that. Now this year because of COVID. 
it was a very different different situation, especially for the freshmen, and they probably didn't get to enjoy, uh, you know, much of that, uh, unfortunately. But I think overall, teams are not at all discouraged about the G League. I think they think that, you know, look, if these young men can come and improve themselves against NBA veterans, against people that were drafted, you know, in the first and second round of the draft, that if they can do it there, then that that's a much easier uh, uh, connect the dots to the NBA than it is understanding, you know, what someone does at Kentucky and how that necessarily translates one way or the other to the NBA. Now, I could ask you several more things about this, and there are more things I want to know, but how much is it a moot point? At what point are 18-year-olds going to be able to be drafted again so that people can go from high school straight to – they don't need to go to college or the G League. They can just go straight to the NBA. How far off the is NBA, that? The NBA wants it. They've wanted it for a number of years. Yeah. The problem is the Players Association, which which has veterans, that – those guys come in and take take your jobs. And so, you know, you're always trying to figure out there, there's always more protection from the player side than there is obviously from the NBA side. And I, I eventually think that this will get done. I think that the Players Association just wants something from the NBA in return. And so far, the NBA hasn't been willing to give up anything for that sort of negotiation point. And so the G League was a bit of a compromise in that it allows the NBA to get their hands on these prospects earlier uh, without having to really deal with the NBA Players Association. But I, I fully su- suspect the next time that there's collective bargaining, this will be a major point for the NBA and, and that you'll just see players going directly uh, to the NBA now. But I, I think in the meantime, the G League is a really nice step. I think it's better than players going over to Australia or going over to Europe and trying to figure it out, figure it out that way. And look, college is always going to be a viable option for players, especially now uh, that they can be, uh, you know, pay, paid for their endorsements. Uh, that's that's going to make life a lot more attractive for college stars that have been frustrated in the past that they can't earn any money uh, while they're in college. Chad, Chad Ford, NBA draft expert and proprietor of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board newsletter and podcast, is joining us here to talk about the NBA draft. I'm curious what you think of the foreign players in this draft. I think it's lost on no one that while Luka Doncic is incredibly exciting, in addition to him, the NBA MVP, Jokic, foreign player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the finals MVP, foreign player, also a two-time MVP. There is a whole generation of foreign players who are kicking butt and taking names. So are there more in this draft? Yeah, this isn't the strongest international draft, but I think that there is three players that are all getting looks in the lottery. Not not in the high end. I don't think we're going to see, you know, the fifth pick in the draft. Though, you know, Jonathan Kaminga um, is an international player that just came over to the United States early and was playing in high school the last couple of years. But I, I think that you start with Alperen and Singun, uh, the Turkish big man. He's 18 years old, and this this just blows my mind. He won MVP of the Turkish League. Not some junior division, the Senior Turkish League, which is probably one of the two or three best leagues in Europe right now at 18 years old. That Only only a player like Luka Doncic has really done anything like that before. The problem with Sengun is that he's sort of a more traditional, old-school big man. Uh, and, you know, some teams wonder how exactly that's going to translate to the NBA right now, which is spreading the floor, using small ball fives, can he stay on the floor defensively? But this young man is incredibly gifted offensively. There's some Nikola Jokic 
uh, in his game. He's not as big as Jokic, and, and I think that matters. But there's some of that just sort of basketball savantness in the way that he plays the game. Josh Giddy is a big point guard, point forward out of Australia, who's really intriguing as well. One of the best passers in this draft at 6'8", which is you know really impressive, uh, and had a really big pro debut in Australia this year, played exceptionally well for an 18-year-old. But he lacks an elite jump shot, and you know questions about his where he plays defense in the NBA are, are legitimate. And then Usman Garuba, who's playing literally on one of the best teams in Europe, Real Madrid, and is their defensive stopper, is a big man who really doesn't have much offense, but he's a terrific athlete and a terrific engaged defender. And some fans may have actually seen him in a, in a scrimmage in Las Vegas against Team USA where he was guarding and giving problems to Kevin Durant uh, from Team USA. And so there's a... Uh, th- those are the three guys that I think will hear their names somewhere in the late lottery, mid-first round. All of them, I think, are really interesting prospects. But unfortunately, no no Luka Doncic is this year. So the Final Four had some uh, some pretty good basketball players in there. Where are they going to slot in this draft, and how do you project them as the Final Four? Gonzaga and Baylor, they're, they're well represented. Yeah, yeah. Jalen Suggs is going to be the first of that of that group off the board. Uh, and, you know, he's going to go anywhere from four to four to five, probably in this draft. I think this draft range is actually pretty tight. He'll either go to Toronto at, at four or the magic at five, sort of barring a trade. And I, I think people see him as one of the surest things in this draft. He's tough. Uh, he's got a quarterback mentality as a point guard can play both positions. Excellent athlete needs to improve his jump shot. But overall, I, I think people see him as a very, very high level prospect uh, in the draft. Davian Mitchell, uh, who was the point guard at Baylor, obviously very intriguing, uh, one of the best on the ball, if not the best on the ball defender in college basketball last year, gets um, some comparisons to Donovan Mitchell that, you know, physically there's a lot of similarities between them. The Davion's a little bit smaller, and because he's a little bit smaller, he's sliding a little bit further down in the draft. I think his range starts with the Warriors at seven and then, you know, goes down to about 14. And, and then, you know, Jared Butler – uh, who was uh, the most outstanding player in the Final Four, uh, is a terrific guard who can play both backcourt positions and absolutely a guy that the Jazz might target if they can get up into the late teens and early 20s. Had a little bit of a medical scare when he came into the combine. They actually held him out, and it was an undisclosed medical condition, but it went on for several weeks before the NBA cleared him to play. So teams have gotten a little bit skittish on him and just about what his, what his health holds. But I think that means he slid from late lottery down into the late teens or you know 20s, uh, where I think he has huge value. I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the league. I'm curious, and you've touched on this with the Jazz, but about needing you know veteran help, win now. I'm curious if anybody among the elite Western teams, which I realize could be half the Western Conference, but Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Suns, Jazz, Warriors, uh, are any of these teams going to find immediate help in the draft? Are any of them poised for that? Or is it everyone's adding projects and nobody we see is going to be making a dent in the second round of the playoffs next year? I I, I think there's two things to say about that. One, um, I'm not sure that you ever find immediate help from rookies uh, in the draft. Even when rookies put up big numbers, uh, they tend to do it in a very inefficient way. 
if you look at plus minus numbers for rookies on their teams, it's almost always negative. Uh, It's hard to say a rookie can win. Not that, not that they can't have a a solid season, but it's it's hard for them to to say they're going to help you win. And one great example of that was Tyrese Halliburton who had an incredible rookie season at Sacramento, um, absolutely helped the Kings and still couldn't really make a dent in their win, win, win loss record uh, last year. And so I think if teams are looking for immediate help and that this team, this player is going to help us win a bunch of basketball games next year, I think it's really, really hard to find in the draft. Now, I do think that you have to look at the totality of what a player might do. And if it's playing 10 to 15 minutes a night, just you know, giving your starters some rest and, and being able to come in and play competent basketball, then I do think that there's some help here. I think at the top of the draft, everybody's swinging for the fences. I think when you start getting into the late, uh, late lottery and mid first round, you have some teams with really strong playoff ambitions, whether that's the Pacers or the Warriors or the Knicks, uh, for, for example, or the Pelicans who just made a big deal. And they're going to be after the guys like Davian Mitchell, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. We didn't talk about him, maybe the best shooter in this draft. Um, the Chris Duarte out of Oregon, who's a guy who's 24 years old already, but teams really see him as a defensive monster. Uh, and, and I just really think it depends on where teams are at and what they're thinking. But my general rule of thumb is whether they're 18 years old or 22 years old, they're probably not going to help you win a lot of basketball games in year one. It's just a big, big transition to the NBA. So making that trade with the Pelicans, did the Grizzlies set themselves up for three years from now? Could they have a young core? And is inevitably the 30-somethings age out of the NBA, are the Grizzlies poised for a big leap in a couple of years? Yeah, the Grizzlies are thinking about the future right now. They, they, they made the playoffs last year. I think that was a welcome surprise for them. And they'd like to continue to build on that success. But they're not, they're not ready to put a championship contender out there right now. And so that absolutely, I think that you're not going to see – uh, the Grizzlies go get Corey Kispert to try to you know push them into two or three more wins in the season. They're going to go get a young guy and try to add to their core led by John Morant and and hope that down the road they have a, a team that could really compete for a championship. And that, I think that's the mindset for most of these teams right now when you're drafting, especially in the top ten. Is this a guy who could actually help us be in a championship someday, even if it takes two or three years uh, for them to be in the position to do so? Chad, as always, we appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for coming on and talking draft. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. There's Chad Ford. When we come back, Eric Walden, not only on what the Jazz might do on draft time, but what they might do with the rest of their roster, and we will get to that next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Eric Walden, Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, joined us yesterday not only to look at what the Jazz might do on draft night, but how they might be tweaking the rest of the roster. And is the most important tweak, he says rhetorically, believing it to be true, the most important tweak, how much better is Donovan Mitchell? Stars matter a lot in the NBA playoffs. Donovan wasn't healthy, and he went for 39 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists when the Jazz got knocked out by the Clippers. If he had been healthy, could he have gone for 50 or 55? And they won the game? It sounds outrageous, but he did 57 in the bubble. 
and he did 39 when he was clearly hurt. And he's improved every year. Is he going to be even better next year? That's one of the questions for Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, good morning. How's it going, Mr. DJ? It's going pretty well. I haven't seen you in a long time in person. I mean, I've seen you in Zoom. Yeah. Uh, but as Kyle Whittingham said at Media Day, I am so sick of Zoom I could puke. <laughs> do you think we're going to be Zooming, or do you think we're about to resume what we referred to in the Bowl four times as normal activity? Well, uh, you know, it's funny. We had Some of us beat writers had a conversation with uh, Jazz PR the other day about um, how to kind of approach draft coverage because in previous years you know they had us all over to uh the zbbc to hang out and watch it and and be there for when you know the jazz made their picks and dennis and justin would come out and and talk to us and we debated you know how are how's everyone feeling about hanging out in person this year and doing it and uh it sounds like it's a go so you know those of us who are vaccinated are going to be getting together at the Zion's Bank basketball campus tomorrow, and hopefully that's the start of uh, a lot more in-person stuff to come. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if TV and radio get invited. Can't wait to see how that plays out. Nobody likes you TV and radio guys. Oh, we're aware. we're aware of that. Don't worry. You're too pretty. You make us all feel bad. And that has literally never been said to me in my entire life. <laughs> so... That brings up the point, are you going to be over there to hear who they drafted and why? Are you going to be over there to hear that they've traded out of the 30th pick and why? That's a good question. It it, it won't shock me if they trade out of the 30th pick. I guess the question is going to be how do they pull it off? Um, You know, everyone's kind of, you know, the scuttlebutt seems to be that they'd like to move up and there certainly are teams that would be amenable to letting them move up. The, the question becomes, how do they go about doing that? Because they don't have their own second-round pick to throw in a deal this year. They don't. They probably are not going to have their first-round pick next year because they still owe one to Memphis from the Mike Conley deal, and that seems likely to convey next year. Uh, the Jazz would have to absolutely crater the season and finish in the, you know, top, finish in the bottom six worst teams in the league last year in order to keep that pick. Uh, they don't have their own second round pick next year, you know, so, so you can kind of see where we're going. Do they attach a player to make it happen? Uh, you know, do they, do they wind up having to attach this year's pick to the likes of, Derek Favors in order to move his salary off the books. So uh, I, I do expect them to move it one way or another, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they pull that off and, and what exactly their their priority is in doing that. Rudy's 29 years old. Donovan is done with his rookie contract now. He's into the second contract, which is, for lack of a better phrase, the unrestricted contract. Excuse me, the restricted contract. Uh, you know, the third deal, you're an unrestricted free agent. So Donovan signed for five years, but the fifth is his option. So it seems like the Jazz have a three to four year window to win now. Do you yeah, think I mean, they are all in on the winning now part and are not eliminating, because you never eliminate it, but de emphasizing 
the whole draft development thing and that that roster spot and money is better spent on a veteran who, while not useful all the time, could be useful in one or two playoff series. Yeah, I think that's absolutely probably what their priority is. You know, um, you finish with the best record uh, in the regular season this year. You know, I'm sure, I don't know if they would admit to it being a surprise to them, but I think it was a surprise to a lot of people, There, you know. If you recall, there were some people predicting the Jazz were going to miss the playoffs entirely this season. So them finishing first was certainly a surprise to some people. But, you know, now that you've shown you can get there, but, um, you know, continue to have that, that heartbreak in the postseason, it seems that uh, they've got great motivation to really kind of go for it. Because, yeah, you know, as, as you mentioned, they're in that spot now where uh, – you know, Donovan's making a bunch of money. Rudy's making a bunch of money. These guys are established in the league. Uh, if you can bring Mike Conley back, you know he's on the he's on the back nine of his career and doesn't probably have too many more seasons of, of elite level play. So yeah, they've definitely got to be in uh, win now mode. They've got to be in go for it mode. So yeah, the question becomes, how do they? Do that, you know, which which kind of players can they target for that? Because yeah, obviously, you know, you don't know what you're going to get for all the for all the complaining about you know taking Doak instead of Desmond Bain a year ago. Does does Desmond Bain prove the guy who would have got this team into the NBA Finals? I, you know, I, I, I like my chances with uh, Nick Batum a lot better. You know, if all things being equal, but um, so yeah, I think I think they're more inclined to go for veteran help. Again, they're going to be trying to navigate, you know, some some tricky circumstances with the salary cap, uh, just because, as you mentioned, you know, Donovan goes from a rookie scale contract to an NBA All Star and near All NBA team contract. You know, Rudy got uh, has has his extension kicking in. So even before we get to Mike Conley. This is becoming an expensive team, and you know it's it's easy for fans to say, "Hey, Ryan Smith's a billionaire; just spend the money." Uh, you know that's, that's true up to a point. Um, it's not your money. You know, it's, it's real easy to give away someone else's money, um, and and he's looking at a huge tax bill as it stands right now. So you know, there's gonna there's gonna be some trickiness going on there. Rudy and Donovan combined are going to make a little over sixty three million dollars next year. So yeah, let, let that sink, and it just goes up, right? At sixty-eight yeah. to seventy-three and a half million, and up it goes. So you've already mentioned the possibility of moving Derek Favors' contract. Who do you think is the Jazz backup center, or for la- for backup center might not be right? Who handles the ten to fifteen minutes a game that Rudy Gobert doesn't play? That's uh, that's an excellent question. You know. Um... They're going to have to really start looking into who's available on the market because I think, you know, they <laughs> that, that Clippers series really kind of drove home the need for a little bit more versatility. You know, um, obviously I'm sure they'd like uh, Udoka Zabuki to take a step forward this year. And, you know, if nothing else, he's the guy. But I think they would like a guy like a Nick Batum to be able to step in um, you know, if possible, he's a guy who, for most of his career, was was a three um, in Portland and, and Charlotte. And then the way the league has gone, he became a four, and and now 
even the way he played last year with the Clippers on a minimum contract, you know, we saw him at the five a lot. Um, the question is going to be, you know, is it, is it feasible to bring him in? You know, he, he played on a minimum deal for the Clippers last year. He played well enough. I don't think he's gettable for a minimum again. So the question becomes, you know, do they want to spend the taxpayer's mid-level exception, which is going to be, what, six and a half, a little less than $7 million this year on Nick Batum, and can you get him for that? And otherwise, you know, you're looking at uh, can you afford a Bobby Portis? Can you afford, you know, a, a Nerland Noel, someone like that? Um, these are these are the kind of guys they're going to be looking at. The question is, are they going to be priced out of guys like that? So it's a it's a good question, DJ. So do you think that um, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, Jordan Clarkson is in a similar price range? They're all over ten million in salary. Does that group return to run it back one more time, or do you think there's a possibility they're going to get aggressive and we'll see roster changes that might surprise some people? I think there's a possibility of it. You know, um, like I said, you know, I, I brought up the favors one, I think, as the season went on and, and then especially how the playoffs unfolded, there was some, there's a little bit of buyer's remorse there, not because, you know, anyone's disappointed in Derek Favors. He, he obviously is a solid citizen and, and, and did what they asked him to and did the best he could. But um, just the fact that, you know, his play clearly diminished, and and you know, here he is making the mid-level exception. If they could find someone to take that, I think he'd be option number one. Um, Joe Ingles is an interesting one, just because he's in the final year of his deal. Um, you know, he's he's making, I want to say, a little over thirteen million is his cap hit this coming season. Uh, much as we all love Joe, you know, I think it's it's fair to wonder at this point, is that a bit too much for what we can expect of him going forward? Uh, I, I think it's fair to say his defense has dropped off a little bit. Um, I think we saw that their plan to kind of use him as the de facto, you know, second string point guard uh, did not really kind of pay off. The way they wanted, you know, and, and he clearly is better suited for a secondary playmaking role. So he's a candidate. Um, with Boyan, it's a little trickier because he's got two years left on his deal for more money. Um, you know, can you find someone that wants him at 18.7 million this year, 19.6 next year? And, you know, again, what are you getting back for these guys becomes the point, you know, at, at what point are you decimating a team uh, excessively, you know, that finished first in the Western conference? At, at what point do you want to, uh, you know, say, well, we need to change this and this and this, how much, you know, at, at what point does it become a little too reactionary in kind of, uh, you know, killing the identity of this team for the sake of reacting to how one specific series went. So we can talk about the depth of a team as much as we want, but we've seen star power drive championship teams for decades, and even though the NBA changes, Giannis Antetokounmpo has three 40-point games in the NBA Finals, 50 in the clinching game, and they get the championship. 
Donovan Mitchell has found another gear every year he's been in the league. At some point he will peak, but has that happened yet, or do you think he's going to come back even better in the next season? I expect Donovan's going to come back better. You know, I, I think a lot of people in the league feel this way, that, um, you know, he's, he's on the verge of becoming just an absolute scoring superstar. You know, um, he hasn't necessarily needed to do that in the regular season just because of the way this team has been constructed and the fact that, you know, Mike Conley had his first all-star season and Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, when he's healthy and when his wrist is right, is a, is a great secondary option. Um, but we've seen him have those moments in the postseason. You know, he's, he's one of the top all-time points-per-game scorers in NBA playoff history. And granted, his sample size is smaller than a lot of the old-timer guys who he's ahead of right now. And, and you would expect, you know, that when he gets a little older and into his career, maybe that'll decline a little bit. But, yeah, there's absolutely room for him to continue that upward trajectory. And, and I don't think anyone uh, believes that he's, that he's at his peak yet, you know. Um, Rudy Gobert loves to tell us every season that he's only scratching the surface. And, and maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole with Rudy. I don't feel like that's, that's the case with Donovan yet. Um, I feel like there's, there's more room to go. I mean, uh, if you had asked someone a couple of years ago who's the better shooter between Devin Booker and, and then Donovan Mitchell, you know, 99 people out of 100 tell you Devin Booker. And is that the case anymore? I mean, you look at their shooting splits, and Donovan was a lot more efficient this last season on a lot more attempts per game, you know? And that wasn't his game coming into the league. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about there in terms of, in terms of his upcoming growth. Mione, Jawan Morgan, Elijah Hughes, are any of these guys about to take the step that in previous seasons we saw Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles take, where they went from the fringe of the roster into the rotation and contributed? Um, you got any higher hopes for any one of those guys than anybody else? Uh, I would honestly be a little surprised if Jawan Morgan is back on the team this coming season. I don't have any inside intel on that, but just given, you know, kind of the way they need to go. And, and from what I've seen of him, I don't have a whole lot of hope there. Mie, I know that there's still some kind of internal hope that, that he can become, you know, that he can fulfill some of that uh, perimeter wing defense that they're that they're so badly needing. But um, I don't know. The, the guy is so foul prone. You know, he picks up two fouls on his way to the scorer's table every game. Um that and I just don't know if the if the shot is going to be consistent enough. I would say, you know, in my view, Elijah Hughes maybe has the best uh, potential there of the three to become something. But um, just given how the rookie season went, you know, again, that's that's a difficult projection to make. But of the three, he's probably the one who I personally would lean towards the most. So you got anybody in this NBA draft you really love, even if the Jazz can't move up to get him, someone who's going to be the next big star, and you are convinced this is the guy? Yeah, Cade Cunningham. You heard of him? I have. (laughs) But I've seen number one picks flame out before, so not everybody's on the same page. I didn't want to bias you by leading the the witness, Your Honor. (laughs) No, there's, you know, 
I don't study the NBA draft with the same intensity and fervor and duration that uh, the great Tony Jones does. <laughs> a college basketball fanatic and, 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 and is watching games nonstop all season long. I'm more a guy who pays, you know, attention here and there during the season, but, um, you know, I'm mostly focusing on what's going on in the NBA. And then, and then once the Jazz season over is over, I really kind of take a deep dive in, into, you know, the college basketball season. Um, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys who I've come to like and, and think something of in terms of guys who are maybe closer to the Jazz's range, I think Oregon's Chris Duarte is, is going to be a great plug-and-play uh, 3.3 and D kind of a guy. Um, you know, a lot of teams are maybe a little leery of him just because he's 24 and you don't get the same number of years out of him. Um, but again, I don't think he lasts to where they can get within range to. I've heard uh, he, he may go, you know, in the teens at this point, in the mid-teens at that. Um who else? I'm trying to think of some names that uh, you know might be in the in the 20s. I've heard that uh, Ayo Dunmo of, of Illinois is the guy who's starting to kind of creep back up. He was the guy who was initially thought to be a late second round or a late first round pick, kind of dropped into the middle of the second round at one point. And now seems to be creeping back up. A lot of teams think you know he's a great ball handler and and is a very switchable wing. Six uh, five guy out of out of Illinois. Um, who else? Josh Primo is out of Alabama. Is the kid I really like, but uh, I don't know that he makes a ton of sense for the Jazz just because he's the youngest guy in the draft this year. He's eighteen years old, and if he were to stay in the draft and come out next year, uh, probably would be a top ten pick. This year, you're paying for a guy who can give you. Some shooting immediately, but who's going to need a lot of work elsewhere? So uh, those are, those are some of the names that that stand out to me. Well, as always, we appreciate the time, Eric. Thanks for coming back on the show and uh, spelling out the draft for us. And uh, we'll see if they if they make the trade. I I expect that's the way it's going, but it's hard to know because you never know what someone's going to call an offer at the last second. Yeah, and and that's the thing that we're hearing that a lot of teams you know, are, are really kind of expecting a ton of movement this year in the draft, but that, uh, you know, maybe not a ton of that happens beforehand, you know, that it's, that it is indeed kind of a last minute thing. So we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled and, and see how it goes. And, uh, in the meantime, thanks for having me on. And it was great having a civilized, polite, professional conversation with you and not that other guy. No, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> See, people buy that stuff, but you know, you and he know each other better than you and I. Yeah, you've got uh, you've got Tribune history backstory. Yeah, PK and I go way back. I, I first got to know him when I was just a uh, dumb, know nothing student at the University of Utah, trying to find my way in the in the Utah sports market. And uh, believe it or not, PK was actually a guy who who was kind enough to take me under his wing and, and kind of help me out and, and, and teach me a thing or two. So, and then yeah, you come uh, on his radio show it. and light him up. Is that how, well, he'd expect nothing less actually though. So yeah. Right. Probably, probably works I out. Mean, this is, this is how PK and I go, you know, there you go. Well, Eric, we appreciate the time. Uh, and people can follow you at trip jazz on Twitter for all the draft updates, right? That's right. There it is at trip jazz. All right. Thanks, Eric. 
Thanks, DJ. Bye. All right, there's Eric Walden and Chad Ford on the NBA Draft. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.